Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. This series we've called... uh... True Life, it's based in an organization you've heard me uh, talk about that's got a lot of Bible studies available online. And through these invite cards we are giving to you each week, asking you to invite people to come be with us, uh, you can give them easy access to uh, looking up questions that they may have in their minds about the Bible, about maybe things going on in their lives, uh, that they can get in the comfort of their own home. Sometimes they would not come and ask me some of those questions. Uh, there's a, a lot of uh, uh, questions uh, that can be answered at truelife.org. Uh, uh, there's a video there, for instance, that, that deals with uh, homosexuality. Uh, typically, people don't just bounce into my office and say, uh, you know, can, can you tell me if God loves me because I've struggled with this. People don't tend just to bounce in and ask those questions. But if we can give them biblical answers to those questions and they can uh, get it through true life, then hopefully they'll decide, well, maybe I need to check that church out and, uh, and, uh, and go pay them a visit. So I hope you're giving these cards away that we've asked you to each week. Uh, the topics that we have chosen, about 12 of them, will deal, be dealing with until the end of uh, November. What we've dealt with so far in, in this series, we started out really basic because I think you need to. We started out talking about truth. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? If you don't believe there's absolute truth, you're going to have a struggle uh, believing all the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about uh, from the Bible. I mentioned to you that Sunday, it says in the very first of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. If you can believe that, you can kind of nail the other stuff down, if you can believe that part uh, of it. We went from talking about uh, absolute truth to talking about is there such a thing as a God, is there really a creator God, and we looked at a lot of scientific evidence and things that point to the fact uh, that there is, and then we talked about this, we, we talked about is, is Jesus God? Uh, and that's something we focused on last week in, in a lot of, of detail, talking about whether or not uh, Jesus is, is God. Today, we're going to talk about this. We're still kind of asking questions about who is Jesus, and we'll do that uh, this week and next week. Next week, even though I've already talked about the resurrection, so next week we'll talk about the resurrection in more detail as to whether or not Jesus did rise from, from the grave, from the dead. But today we're going to talk about did, did Jesus fulfill prophecy? Uh, I, I told you last week as we were talking about who Jesus is, is Jesus God, uh, anybody can make claims like that. Anybody can make those types of statements, but you have to have the credentials to back up what you say if you start claiming to be God. Uh, we're going to see today that Jesus had uh, a lot of credentials. There are a lot of things in the Bible uh, about messianic prophecies. And Jesus fulfills them. So that's why it's important for us to understand that Jesus did fulfill prophecy. Now, Bible scholars and theologians, uh, they, they vary a little bit, uh, and I can understand because you can look at some uh, of the prophecies and you kind of say, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I can't see that one completely. But uh, most Bible scholars list between around 330 and, and around 400 uh, messianic prophecies. In other words, prophecies that the Messiah would come, prophecies that Christ would come. 
So I thought it'd be interesting if we look at all 400 of them. Is that okay? I'm just joking. We will look at several of them. I will tell you this. If you want uh, um, a spreadsheet showing those, if you'll send me your email, I'll send you the information. You can have it uh, on your computer. So I think it's good information. You may need to prove to somebody else uh, at some point in time that, uh, that Jesus did, in fact, fulfill prophecy. But you'll probably have plenty in your notes today because a lot of verses we have to look at. Uh, is, is you approach a message like this. John prayed a moment ago, uh, and, and he said, you don't need to hear from me, and that's always true, but you do need to hear from God. I, I'm telling you, the kind of messages we're in right now, that's about all you hear, because especially if I'm going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled prophecy, about all I can do is reading the Old Testament and say, here it is, and here's what Jesus did. So that's what we're going to do a lot today, especially in the in this series, um, we're going to start out by, by by understanding some things that Jesus said Himself, and then we're going to look at some things the uh, the disciples said before we jump into any of the fill in the blank stuff uh, that you have in front of you. In, in Matthew chapter five, this is kind of like our send off verse today. But in Matthew five verse seventeen, uh, Jesus said, "Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." So Jesus is up front saying, "Hey, all the Old Testament." stuff. I came to be a fulfillment of that. Now, when you look at what Jesus said there, the word destroy literally means not, I didn't come to loosen it down, to disintegrate it, to overthrow it, to abolish it. The root word means this, to halt for the night as lodging a guest in a hotel or a lodge in that day and time. So what Jesus is saying, he didn't come in any way to destroy, disintegrate the law or the prophets. The prophets foretold things about Jesus. He said, I didn't come to destroy them. I didn't even come to haul them like you're parking them in a hotel for the night. He said, I've come to fulfill those things. He said, I did not come, I absolutely did not come to abolish or destroy them, but instead I've come to fulfill them. Now we've seen this word several times over the last few months. Though the word for fulfill is a word that talked about cramming a net full. In other words, if you had a, a net pretty much full of fish and you had room for a few more fish, you'd cram it in. It also meant to hollow up a, a, a to fill up a hollow place, like in the road. You know, a lot of potholes anymore uh, around this part of the country. And used to our our government would take better care of of those things. I think they're broken down. They can't do it uh, probably, but it'd be the idea of filling up that pothole. You know, trying to fill up a void, trying to furnish what is needed. So what Jesus is saying this, Jesus is saying, I've come to furnish what's needed. I've come to cram the net full when it comes to prophecy and theology and, and everything else. I've come to fulfill all those things. I've come to fulfill the law, and I've come to fulfill the prophets. Now, I'll say something more about that in just a moment. Jesus also said this in John chapter 5, in verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then he tells them this, It is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. So he's telling the religious crowd, hey, you search the scriptures, it, but it's about me. You need to understand that. It, it's about me. He's talking about the Old Testament prophecies because the New Testament wasn't written yet. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27, Jesus on the other side of his crucifixion. Remember, he's on. there's some two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus joins them, and the Bible says this, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? You see, they had a misconception of what the Messiahship meant. And they thought Jesus might be the Messiah when He was crucified and buried. They thought, well, evidently it wasn't Him. They're going the other way. Jesus meets them on the road and He says, you need to understand something. That was supposed to happen. Me being crucified and taking my life back up was supposed to happen. He says, shall not Christ suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is telling those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, hey, all those scriptures, they're about me. Jesus also said this about Moses. He said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote about Jesus. So he's saying, once again, I'm the fulfillment of these things. His apostles also teach that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Peter said this in Acts chapter 3, verse 18. He's being, he's being quoted there. Luke's the one that's writing it. But it says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. That's what Peter said about it. Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So Paul is using the Old Testament, saying, look here, this tells about Jesus, what he just did. Paul also said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what? The Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures. And He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, so Paul is saying what Jesus did, being crucified, buried, taking His life back up, all that was foretold. That was prophesied already. See, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that means this. I told you I'll come back to that in, in a moment. That means this. Jesus came to fulfill all the holy demands of the law. Thank God for that. Amen? Because that's what's against us. That's what accuses us to be lost and unworthy and sinners. That ought to be separated from God. But Jesus came to fulfill all that. You and I can fulfill it, but He did. But He also came to fulfill everything the prophets had to say. And they were writing about Him. So as we ask the question again this morning, did Jesus fulfill prophecy? We're going to answer that to the affirmative by looking at three main areas of Jesus' life, of His story. We don't have time to look at all of them. I joked with you, let's look at all 400. We'll look at several of them. But we're going to look at three main areas. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus, we're going to look at the death of Jesus, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And as we look at all three of these areas, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, you'll see how Jesus fulfilled prophecy in all those areas. So let's start out with the birth of Jesus to begin with. The birth of Jesus. And... As we think about the birth of Jesus, there's more than one thing we need to talk about there. So let's start talking about the method of his birth to begin with, and then we'll kind of talk about the location, and then we'll talk about the purpose of his birth. The method of his birth is this, because Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 17, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, a virgin having a baby, that doesn't happen every day, does it? When's the last time you heard about that one? I know they've got these shows on television, on cable and everything else. I've flipped by every now and then and catch these stories about women that had no idea they were pregnant. Here they are full term. They had no idea they were pregnant. I honestly don't know how that happened. I've never been pregnant, but you ladies have been. I watched my wife be pregnant. How you make it full term without even knowing you're pregnant, I have no idea. You know? I mean, at some point in time, there's something moving around in your belly a whole lot more than just indigestion or something, you know? Like you ate some bad pizza or something like, like that. But in, anyway, the Bible says that he was virgin born. And that he'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now guys, when I research stuff like this, I always try and look and see what the unbelievers say too. So as I researched this and I did some stuff online, I noticed there's this guy that put out all kinds of evidence. He said about why Jesus cannot be the Messiah because he did not fulfill all the prophecies. So I thought, okay, let's look and see what he has to say. The very first thing he said was this. The Messiah is supposed to be called Emmanuel and the parents of Jesus never called him Emmanuel that we see. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's it? That's your best argument? Because the Old Testament says he's Emmanuel. The New Testament says his name is Emmanuel. And the point of being called Emmanuel is this. It means that he is God with us. And that's who he is. God in the flesh. God becoming flesh. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, we see the prophecy of it, the fulfillment of it. And I'm not going to read all these scriptures. We won't have time to read them all. But in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 through 23, as you get on down through the verses, they'll have them on the screen for you. But, but more or less, let me kind of talk through it for you. And it, and it talks about the birth of Jesus taking place in, in this way. Uh, Mary was betrothed, and that means she already belonged to Joseph. But then uh, she goes and says, Joseph, I, I got news for you. Uh, I'm having a baby. And by the way, I'm still a virgin and the baby belongs to God. <laughs> you know, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. Sure. So, so he was, he was going to put her away privately because he didn't want to shame her. But an angel appeared to him and an angel told him this. For this that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus which means Jehovah's salvation, for, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So up front, Jesus is going to be the Son of God. Read Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. I, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Then move from there into Luke, chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, because you see Mary saying, How in the world can this happen? She said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. So, so there it is. He fulfills prophecy even by the method of his birth, virgin born, the Son of God. But also he fulfills prophecy in the location of his birth. The location of his birth, where Jesus is born. 
Of course, you know, we know that the incarnation took place in, in Bethlehem, but in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, you are, you are too little to be uh, among the clans of Judah, and you shall come forth for me one, or, or, you, or you shall come forth from, for me one, who is a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from, what does it say? Ancient of days. Who's the agent of days? Jesus is. God is the agent of days. So the place of birth is said to be in Bethlehem. Jump forward into Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 6. I'm not going to read all of that. Once again, you can read through it as I talk through it. Basically what happens is this. The wise men have seen a star in the east, his star in the east. They follow the star there. They start asking, where is he that's born king of the Jews? King Herod don't like that. He gets shook up by it a little bit because he wanted to be the only king. So he starts asking questions, not because he really wanted to go and worship the king of the Jews, to worship the Messiah. He wanted to try and find out where he was so he could have all the babies killed and try and get rid of him by doing that in that region. So when he asked the wise men, where is he? The wise men say this, the prophet said this, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So the Old Testament says Bethlehem and it's announced in the New Testament that's exactly where he was born. So the method of his birth fulfills prophecy. The location of his birth, Bethlehem, fulfills prophecy. But also the purpose of his birth fulfills prophecy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, on the other side of the serpent, lying and deceiving Eve, and then that also leading Adam into sin. God is dispensing out judgments for what has happened. And he looks at the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If you know anything about that, theologians will tell you that's the very first prophecy of the Messiah in the Scriptures. And the prophecy is this. The serpent, Satan would bruise the heel of Jesus. That happened at the cross. That happened as he was beaten and abused. But guess what? Jesus took his life back up, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan. So the very first prophecy about Jesus talks about that. Look what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, talking about Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is who? The devil. So the very first prophecy about Jesus said, Hey, he's going to crush your head. And now we're told in Hebrews that's exactly what happened? So the birth of Jesus fulfills prophecy. But also, the death of Jesus fulfills prophecy. The death of Jesus fulfills prophecy. Now before we get to the crucifixion scene, you know we're heading there. But before we get there, you need to get some background to what leads up to his death. The Bible tells us Jesus was rejected. Well, in Psalm chapter 69, verse 7 and 8, before Jesus became incarnate, it says this, 
For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. And then in John chapter 11, or John chapter 1 verse 11, we find this. He came to his own and his own people did not do what? Did not receive him. The Old Testament says he's going to be rejected. The Old Testament says he's going to be a man of sorrows. And the New Testament tells us that's exactly what happened. He was rejected. He wasn't just rejected, he was betrayed. He was betrayed. Psalm chapter 41 verse 9 says this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So that's a prophecy, and there's more than one. I don't have time to give you all of them. All of them. But there's a prophecy in the Old Testament there saying that, that Jesus is going to be betrayed by the one that ate bread with him. Jump over to John chapter 13. It says, I am not speaking of you all. Is he there talking to the disciples? He says, I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus quotes that exact verse. He said, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is telling his own disciples that when that happens, when one of you who eats bread with me lifts his heel against me, the rest of you will know I am who I say that I am because I've already told you up front it's going to happen. Now, keep reading. John chapter 13, verse 26, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. It was told about in the Old Testament. Jesus said it's going to happen, and then it's fulfilled. And Jesus says, that's who it was talking about. This is the friend that will lift his heel up against me. Now, the background to it, we know what he did. He left quickly. Jesus told him to leave quickly. He went to sell Jesus, more or less. He made an agreement to sell Jesus over to the high priest so they can have him arrested, have him tried, have the false trial set up, leads to the crucifixion. And he sells Jesus for what? For how much? 30 pieces of silver. Man, this blows my mind right here. I want you to see how specific the Bible is. Zechariah, Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Now, now listen to what he just said. 30 pieces of silver, he's going to throw them in the house of God, in the potter. Now, let's jump into the New Testament. Matthew 26, and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? That's what Judas is saying. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Does that blow your mind a little bit? Hundreds of years before it happened, and they give him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he saw an opportunity to betray Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 and 5. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw, 
Though Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Oh, he became guilty for what he had done. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the, el- and the elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said to him, what is that to us? See it to yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hanged himself. So 30 pieces of silver, and now it's thrown in the house of God, the temple. Let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 27, 7 and 8. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a place for strangers. Matthew 27, verse 9 and 10. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying... And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Wow. (laughs) Hundreds of years before it happened, 30 pieces of silver, he's going to throw the silver in the house of God, it's going to be used to buy a potter's field. And that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. Now, you see liberal theologians will say, oh, well, that's simple. You see, the, the same guys were writing all this. They wrote this, and they wrote this. No, you can, prove, you can prove historically that hundreds of years passed from the time of Zechariah. You've got a track record of the Scriptures being written. You can prove it wasn't written at all at one time. It's Jesus fulfilling prophecy. The death of Jesus fulfills prophecy because he was rejected, he was betrayed, and then he was crucified. He was crucified. I took a lot more time to develop the other prophecies, but we don't have time to develop all these. But I'm going to hit just the highlights, and I'm going to show you what was said in the Old Testament, what was done in the Scripture references are there in your notes and on the screen. You can go home and read it, give you something to do at home for a Bible study. All I'm going to do is go through it pretty quick and show you what they are. There's an insert there inside the updates showing these. I do want you to understand this because this is very, very significant. In the process of going through these prophecies, there is a description of a crucifixion that takes place in Psalm 22 hundreds of years, hundreds of years before the Roman Empire ever came into being and before the Roman Empire ever developed crucifixion as a means of execution. It was foretold hundreds of years before it ever happened. Let's walk through some of these. Let me just hit the highlights. Serpent lifted up on a pole. That happened because the children of Israel had been bitten by fiery serpents because of their sin, their rebellion against God. Moses went and prayed, said, what should I do? God said, make that brazen serpent, hold it up on a pole. Everybody looks at that by faith, will be healed with a snake bite. That's exactly what they did. That's a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And everyone that looks to Jesus by faith will be healed of that sin problem that we have. Where we've been bitten by sin will be forgiven as we look to Jesus. Jesus even said himself that he being lifted up on the cross was a fulfillment of that serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. He was beaten and he was scourged. It, it, we're told that that would happen in Psalms and also in Isaiah. And it does happen in Matthew chapter 27. He was abused to the point that he did not even look like he was human. The way the scripture puts it is that his, his looks were so marred, his, his vesture was so marred, that you, if you had known him before they beat him, before he went to the cross, you wouldn't even have known who he was on the other side of it. 
He was so beaten and abused. The Bible said that would happen in Isaiah. And you can read about it in the New Testament as it was fulfilled. He was smitten on the cheeks and spat upon. Isaiah foretold that. And it happens in the New Testament in Matthew as Jesus is going to the crucifixion. In Psalm 22, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22, remember hundreds of years before it happened, Jesus on the cross exactly screams that out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's there in the darkness with the sins of all mankind placed upon him. And the Father looks away because of the sin that was placed upon his son. Let's keep reading. Darkness at the crucifixion, I just alluded to that, but it's foretold in Amos and in the Psalms, in Psalm 22. And it happened there at the cross. Ridiculed Jesus on the cross. It was foretold in Psalm 22. It happens in Matthew chapter 27. They said he trusted in God, let him deliver him. That's quoted in Psalm 22. And it happened there at the crucifixion scene in Matthew chapter 27. They pierced his hands and his feet. That's also foretold in Psalm 22. It happens there in the crucifixion scene. We're told about it in John parted his garments in Psalm 22. John says that's exactly what happened. They took his garments and they gambled for his garments. It was foretold hundreds of years before it would ever happen. There's a description of suffering on the cross. As I told you a moment ago, crucifixion had not even been created, but there's a perfect description of what it is like to suffer and die on the cross in Psalm 22. That's fulfilled in Mark chapter 15. He thirsted. We're told in Psalm 22 that he would be thirsty there upon the cross. And he would even say that he thirsts. It's fulfilled in John chapter 19. Not a bone would be broken, was said in Exodus and in Numbers. And it takes place in John. And you see, the strange thing about that is this. Normally, they would always break the legs of someone being crucified to hasten their death, especially if the time frame was starting to get too late in the day. And it might get over on their Sabbath day. They want to mess up one of their holy days while they're murdered somebody. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And they would go through and break their legs to hasten the death of the person. Because with your legs broken on the cross, you cannot raise yourself up to breathe, to take a breath, to expel the air from your lungs and to breathe in with your legs broken. But when they came to Jesus, it was a strange thing to them that he was already expired. So they did not break his legs. The Bible said they would not. Jesus on the cross screamed out, It is finished. And in Psalm 22, it said, It is finished. And that's what Jesus proclaimed on the cross. He said, I've done everything necessary. I've fulfilled it all. I've paid everything that needs to be paid in order for us to be forgiven. He committed himself to God. Psalm 22 and Psalm 31, and in Luke we're told about him commending himself to God. And then he bows his head and he gives up his spirit to God. Amazing stuff. Hundreds of years before it ever happened. Did Jesus fulfill prophecy? He did by his birth. By the method of his birth, the location of his birth, the purpose of his birth, why he came to die on the cross, what we just read about. Jesus fulfilled prophecy through his death because we're foretold that he would be rejected. It's foretold that he would be betrayed. It's foretold the specifics of things that would happen at the cross. And it all took place. But the resurrection of Jesus also fulfills prophecy. The resurrection of Jesus fulfills prophecy. And next week we'll talk more about that in 
in detail. And I talked some about it last week, some about it this week, and we'll rehearse a little bit of it next week, hopefully get in some new stuff. But you need to understand the resurrection of Jesus was predicted, and then it occurred. It was predicted in Job chapter 19, verse 25 through 27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And then more or less, Job says this, because I know my Redeemer lives, because I know my Redeemer took his life back up. Job says this, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, and yet in my flesh I shall see God, in whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, and my heart faints within me. Psalm chapter 16, verse 9 and 10, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That means the grave. And let your Holy One see corruption. Psalm 30, verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from the grave. You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. It was foretold, and now... In the New Testament, in John chapter 20, verse 8 through 9, it said, Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. Whereas yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Acts chapter 2, verse 32, This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's foretold that a resurrection would happen, and the resurrection takes place. Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah when they were asking for a sign. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three days. Nights. Now, some people will scoff at that and say, surely you don't believe those stories of Jonah. Yes, I do. You want to know why I do? Because Jesus said it happened. And if Jesus said it happened, we're going to quote what Jesus said. If Jesus said it happened and you said it don't, you have just doubted the deity of Christ. So I literally believe that happened to Jonah. And in Matthew 12, verse 39 through 40, but he answered them. They're asking for a sign. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, here's a sign. You want a sign? You're going to bury me. I'm going to take my life back up on the third day. The resurrection was foretold prophesied, and then Jesus fulfills it. Those of you that are in a small group, in one of our life groups, you'll be watching a video tonight by Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell's story is, is similar to uh, that of Lee Strobel that we talked about a few weeks ago when we were dealing with scientific evidence for there being a creator, for there being a God. Lee Strobel, if you remember, started out as an atheist. He started out as an evolutionist. And then his wife got saved. And he started thinking, well, maybe I need to look into this because all of a sudden her life's a whole lot better. She treats me a whole lot better than she used to. So he starts looking into it. And he comes away with the conclusion, hey, all this stuff's real. I've been lied to about evolution. I've been lied to uh, about this other stuff. I'm not an atheist anymore. Now I believe. 
Josh McDowell started out on the same path. I think he started out on that path because, as I told you a couple of weeks ago when I watched the video before we signed up with truelife.org at the Baptist State Convention last year when I was there, as we watched the video, I heard something about Josh McDowell I never heard before, and that was that he was sexually abused as a child for several years by a man that worked on his mother's farm until he got old enough that he could tell that man, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. Now, years later, Josh McDowell is at college. He's actually studying law also. And while he's at college, he decides to disprove Christianity. You see, I think he had a motive to disprove God and disprove Christianity because in his heart he was probably saying, if there's a God, why did you let me be sexually abused all those years? So, He starts out on a mission to disprove Christianity. In the process of it, he runs into so much evidence that he comes to faith in Christ and he writes a book entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There's so much evidence, he says, about Jesus that demands a verdict. You have to decide one way or the other. Josh McDowell in the video that you're going to watch tonight in your small groups or this week whenever your small group meets, He tells an illustration to help us understand the magnitude of Jesus being the Messiah. It was something I'd already heard before, before I heard Josh share it. I, I read it, I don't know, 20 years ago, I guess. But he would tell about a mathematician. He started trying to factor the odds in. He became interested in all the prophecies having to do with Christ. And he began investigating all those prophecies and trying to see how Jesus fulfilled them. And this statistician, this mathematician, after he was so astounded by the odds, he illustrated it like this. And by the way, here's what the odds would be. The odds of any one person fulfilling only eight prophecies. Now, how many prophecies did I say there were about the Messiah? 330 to 400. The odds that I'm talking to you about right now is only for one person to fulfill just eight of them. One and then throw 17 zeros out there. That's pretty big odds, isn't it? If you were betting on something, you're going to take that bet? (laughs) But here's the illustration to help us understand what that looks like. That statistician said if you took the state of Texas, which is a very big state, And if you cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, that would be about knee deep. And you took one silver dollar, put a check mark on it, and you mixed it in with all the rest of them that are there over the whole state of Texas. And then you took a man and you blindfolded that man to where he couldn't see. And then that man wades out into all those silver dollars out into Texas. And then at his very first pick, he comes up with the one that's checked. Does that help you see the extreme odds we're talking about? He said that's the odds that only eight of those prophecies could be fulfilled in any one man. Eight of them. (laughs) Jesus fulfilled them all. Man, how many zeros would we have to put up? What would the odds of that be? The whole planet... A hundred feet deep in silver dollars, and a blind man walks out and grabs the right check, silver dollar. 
Guys, I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff increases my faith. Does it yours? You understand, this isn't a fable. This, this isn't made-up stuff. If that's the odds for Jesus only fulfilling eight of those prophecies, imagine someone fulfilling all of those prophecies. Simon Greenleaf, who, by the way, there's actually a, a, a law school named after him now. But he was a Harvard, at Harvard Law School from 1783 to 1853. Well, that was his lifespan. He lived from 1783 to 1853. So here's this man that really almost kind of wrote the principles of law that we follow a lot today in the legal system that's based on the Bible. But he said this, according to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there's more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus than for just about any other event in history. He's saying there's enough evidence you have to deliver a positive verdict. Why would Jesus do all that? I know I've read a lot of scripture, but I really feel like I need to close by reading Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 12. And I'm just going to read through that. I'm going to point out a couple of things and then we're done. Why would Jesus come? Why would Jesus come to fulfill all those prophecies? The Bible says he was despised and rejected by me and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, died between two thieves, and with a rich man, the rich man's tomb, in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was completely perfect, completely sinless. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge and shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Thank God for that. Amen. He shall bear their iniquities. That's what he did for us. That's why he came. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he's poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Once again, died between two thieves. 
Yet He bore the sins of many. Thank God for that because He bore our sins. And makes intercession for the transgressors. That's why He came. That's why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. That's why we need to have our faith increased by, by, by realizing Jesus is who He said He is. And He fulfilled all those prophecies. See, we live in a day and age that a lot of people think they're really, really smart, really, really wise. There are a bunch of people who think they're smarter than God. Because our modern culture believes this and believes that. We've got ability in minutes to sit down and research stuff just by going online and popping it in. And we can research all kinds of information on any kind of topic you want to look up. We live in a great information age, and human intellect is being more and more exhausted. And intellect can be a wonderful thing, but, but, but. You can understand biology, and if you don't know the giver of life, you're still uneducated. You can comprehend geology, but if you don't know the rock of the ages, you don't really know anything worthwhile. You can know all there is about botany, but if you haven't met the lily of the valley, you don't know anything. You can know a lot of facts about history, but if you reject the central figure of history, the one who all history is about, because I, I think the very first time maybe I, I heard this was Adrian Rogers putting it like, like this, but he said, history is his story. And take history and just kind of divide it out. History is his story because it's all about him. It's all about Christ. If you know everything about history, but if you reject the central figure of history, and that is Jesus, you've wasted all of your time. Adrian Rogers put it like this. He said, the wise man who doesn't know God is ignorant. The strong man who doesn't know God is weak. And the rich man who doesn't know God is poor. So where do you stand in that this morning? Do you know God? Do you know Christ? Have you believed in Him? He longs for you too. He sent His Son to die for you on the cross. He anxiously awaits for you to come to Him for salvation. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's glory. And our only hope is Jesus. That's why we're spending so much time in this series talking about who Jesus is. Because you need to believe He's who He claimed to be. Because He's your only hope. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray if there's someone here that has doubted and they've pushed away believing in Jesus. I pray through this series, through what we've been talking about, you will give them the faith they need to understand that Jesus is who He claims to be, who He said that He is. Father, I, I ask You if You would to help anyone here that doesn't know Christ. Help them right now to understand with eyes of faith, with a, with a mind of faith, the look of the odds that we talked about of any one person fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah other than your Son. Father, help them to say yes to you. Help them to admit that they're a sinner. Those of us that have already trusted, Father, we, we celebrate your majesty. We celebrate your wisdom. We celebrate how you have put all this together. 
how hundreds of years before you said these things would happen and they all happen in minute detail as you described it. We thank you for giving us such a solid foundation of our faith to stand upon. Speak to us now during this time of invitation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.